Lord, we come before you and ask for you to speak to us this morning, that we would hear from your word and we would understand what you would have for us to know about Jesus, what you would have for us to know about how to live in light of knowing who Jesus is. And God, today as we talk about your authority, we talk about the gospel, I pray that you would make it clear to each and every person here, whether the first time here today with us or whether they've been attending this church for their whole lives, Lord, that you would speak to us today in a way that would not only inform us but would transform us. And Lord, I pray for that this morning. I look forward to what you're going to teach us and I pray that you would guide us into your word, that your spirit would help us to see what we would need to see and allow us to change what we need to change. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to begin this morning, and we've just started in the book of Mark, if you were with us a couple weeks ago. Uh, Last week, we took a little bit of a break. Uh, It was supposed to be Rod Whitney, which all of you know the ice came, and that did not happen. But we had a real blessing of a service last week, being able to read God's Word and just think upon that. And so this morning, we're going to continue with Mark. Uh, We started, as I said, two weeks ago with a introductory section in which we looked at the first 13 verses. Uh, And uh, what I'm going to do this morning before we even get started with the sermon itself, I just want to read to you what we've already read in Mark and then also going forward where we're going to be today. So join me this morning, if you would, uh, in reading Mark chapter 1, verse 1, and we're going to be reading through chapter 2, verse 12. Let's read. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of the one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And the voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, and with you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, and saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. Passing along the sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen, 
And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James the son of Zebedee and John his brother who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. And they went into Capernaum. And immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? You have, come, have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves, saying, Who is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick and oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases, and he cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak, because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, when it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, can you make me clean? Or you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I, uh, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together and there was no more room even at the door and he was preaching the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near of him because of the crowd they removed the roof above him and when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And then Jesus, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. For who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins? He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose immediately, picked up his bed, and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. 
That was a lot of reading as we look at Mark, but we have to keep in mind where we've been and where we're going as we continue in the book of Mark. And you remember, if you were with us a couple weeks ago, many of the epistles have talked to us about how we need to live Christ-like lives. And it's really hard to know how to live like Christ if we don't know how Christ lived and lives. And so, as we go through the book of Mark, we're going to look at what Jesus did when he was here on the earth, how he lived, what he did, how he ministered. And we looked at a lot of things a couple weeks ago by way of introduction. We understand that these are Mark's words, but they are really Jesus' memories, or no, I mean, sorry, Peter's memories of Jesus. And as we go through the book, we're going to see that it's, a, it's not a full biography. It doesn't start with a genealogy. It doesn't t- start with his birth. It just really starts with his ministry, and it continues through his ministry and gets us to his death. And we see through Mark, this is the main thing we need to remember, that Mark presents Jesus as a suffering servant king. That, yes, Jesus is king, and we saw that even when we looked at the first chapter, but also in reference to him being God and king, he is also a servant in the way that he came as a man to serve. And we looked at Mark 10 where it said, he has not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And so this is the theme that we rally around as we come to Mark, that Jesus is the king that everyone has been awaiting, and yet it's going to be in a different way than they expected, that he would be a servant, that he would suffer for the people. And that's going to continue now as we look today, starting at verse 14. We saw through the baptism and temptation of Jesus uh, that God has indeed said that Jesus, he is my son, I am well pleased in him, he goes to the... He goes to the wilderness where he's attempted, which shows his humanity, that indeed God is fully man, fully God, all in one. And therefore, he can be the suffering servant king that we know him to be. So now we pick up in verse 14, and we've already read it all. I'm going to break these up in a few different sections so we can see them. And we're going to look at the authority of Jesus today. Now before we look at the authority of Jesus, a few thoughts on authority Uh, The word is often used, and I'll say this, in this group and probably in the world, authority, that word, like, scares some people and gives some people comfort. Like, if you think about it, like a a policeman, There there are some people in this room that if you got pulled over by a policeman for whatever reason, you would be angry. How dare the policeman pull me over, even if you might have been doing something you shouldn't have been doing. There's another group here that as soon as the policeman would pull you over, you'd start crying and start weeping and feeling humble. And when the, the, the policeman comes to the, to the car window, just start blubbering how sorry you are. And others of you would challenge the cop and say, no, this is, I wasn't speeding the way you say I was. And there'd be a challenge there. And I find that there are people that will respond both ways to any authority. Uh, that, was, that was seen very clearly yesterday at the, at the rafting trip, if you were with us, and uh, Many of you know when I'm on a raft, I have trouble following Brian's directions sometimes. Um, and this year, I decided I am going to follow Brian because he's the authority here. He knows the river. He knows what's going on. And so I did the right thing, I feel like. And so he said to go left. And so we went left. But he meant the next left. And so my raft ended up getting stuck. We ended up having to carry our raft across a fallen tree I fell into the the water up to my waist. It was a great time. (laughs) 
But even so, I still understood, as Brian explained, even though I gave him a hard time, and I don't think he's here this morning for me to continue to give him a hard time, but I gave him a hard time about giving the wrong directions, but yet, as he explained himself, I realized as we went on, we still should probably listen to him as our authority. But see, without, without having that in the past, this is a great picture of what it means to follow. Sometimes we don't even understand, and sometimes we get it wrong, but we try to do our best to follow authority. And even on the river, there's those who listen and those who don't. Mike Lasnick didn't listen and went right, and he ended up okay. So, you know, that's just how this works. <laughs> but with all of that, we think about authority. There's lots of authorities in our life. Maybe it's Brian on the river. Maybe it's a policeman. Maybe it's a parent. Uh, maybe it's your boss. We are surrounded in a world of authorities. And how we respond to authorities is important. But we're going to see today that Jesus is the ultimate authority. And it's up to all of us as we look at our lives. Are we going to submit to Jesus' authority? Are we going to live under his authority? Are we going to accept his authority? Or are we going to try to go our own way? And as we look at this today, I hope by the time we get through this passage, you will know in your heart of hearts that you believe that Jesus is your authority and you will follow him as such. And so let's take some time to look at the authority that Jesus has. We're going to start at chapter 1, verses 14 through 22. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them and left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. And they went into Capernaum, and he immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. All right, so we're going to look at this section, and we're going to start by seeing that Jesus taught with authority. Jesus starts out here and he is, as an authority, he is a teacher of authority. He teaches not only with authority, but really he teaches what authority he even has. And so we start in verse 14. And we see in verse 14, by the way, between verse 13 and verse 14, which Mark doesn't tell us anything about, but in the other Gospels you'll see that there's about a year of time in between his, uh, his temptation in the wilderness and when John is arrested. And so Mark kind of skips over that year, obviously, for whatever reason, for the point that he's trying to get at to show Jesus as the suffering servant king that he is, he begins when Jesus starts preaching in Galilee, which is about a year after, uh, after he was tempted in the wilderness. And so that's where we find ourselves as far as a setting. And we see here, after John was arrested, John the Baptist gets arrested, uh, and he's eventually going to be killed, but Jesus comes into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. So Jesus comes into Galilee, which is around the Sea of Galilee. Obviously, this is a a section of Israel that is uh, looking, it's not in Jerusalem, right? This is kind of the country of Israel. And it's interesting that we see that this is even mentioned, that Jesus comes into Galilee to preach. Because if somebody was going to come to preach that they really wanted to catch the most people possible... And they really wanted to make it so that they would have a following. You would go into the big cities. 
You would go into Jerusalem. That's where a king would start. If you wanted to gather a following of people to proclaim your kingship, why wouldn't you start in the biggest city, in the capital, in Jerusalem? And yet, Jesus starts in the outskirts around Galilee. You say, well, that's interesting. But there's also more to it. Actually, this is a fulfillment of prophecy. I, I want to turn your attention over to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. And it's interesting, even way back here, when Isaiah is prophesying, he's prophesying about the coming king, the coming Messiah. In Isaiah chapter 9, we see this connection to Galilee. Isaiah chapter 9, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 and 2, right off the start in Isaiah chapter 9. And this is what we read in the first verse of Isaiah 9. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the later time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. As Isaiah is looking forward to the coming Messiah... 600 years before Jesus would even be born, as he looks at the coming Messiah, he says, out of Galilee will the light shine. And so Jesus starts preaching in Galilee. The light is now shining. Jesus is the Messiah. And we see what is he doing in Galilee? Well, he's proclaiming the gospel of God, the good news, that there is good news that Jesus is bringing to the world. In verse 15, we see a summary of what this gospel of God is as Jesus teaches. And he says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. The first thing we see is Jesus says, the time is fulfilled. Going back to what we just looked at at Isaiah and all throughout the Old Testament, you will see that the coming Messiah has been prophesied really since the book of Genesis. Since the beginning of time, in Genesis chapter 3, we even see that there will be a Messiah that will crush Satan's head. And so we understand from all of Scripture. And you look at all the Old Testament prophets, you look at all the old writings, and what we see is there is a Messiah king who is coming to set up a kingdom on, in this world. And Jesus says, the time is fulfilled. Jesus himself comes on the scene in Galilee, which by itself is a, a fulfillment of prophecy that shows him as Messiah, and says the time has fulfilled. And what has been the time fulfilled? The kingdom of God is at hand. You see, many times I've heard people say, you know, Jesus didn't really make it very clear that he was the Messiah. Like, people kind of had to guess, and people didn't really understand until he died. Yeah, people, some people didn't understand because they weren't willing to listen, but it wasn't because Jesus wasn't telling them. Jesus, from the time he started his ministry, was very clear. He's the Messiah. He's the one they've waited for. The time has been fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come. The kingdom that Israel had been looking forward to is at hand. It is here. It is time for the kingdom to come. And Jesus is saying this. And what Jesus is saying is, look, the kingdom is here. I'm the king. The kingdom is here and I am the king. This promised this promised kingdom throughout Scripture, he is here. Now it's important to understand that this kingdom obviously has not even yet been fully fulfilled. That there will come a time when Jesus will sit on the throne and physically rule over this world. And we are still waiting for that day to come when Jesus comes again 
and when Jesus gathers us to himself, and at the end of time, he will physically rule over this world. And there's still that future idea that Jesus, that part of the kingdom is coming, but the kingdom has started with Jesus coming on the scene. It has begun. The kingdom is here in a spiritual sense, that the rule of God over the hearts and lives of people has begun with Jesus coming onto the scene. Now, this isn't the king that the Jews expected. This wasn't the king that they thought that they would get, the ruling king that would come in and defeat Rome and set up a throne right then. This was a king who was coming, as we know from, as we look through Mark and as we talked about two weeks ago, that he will suffer and die for the sins of the people so that they will not be delivered from Rome, but be delivered from the power of sin itself. And so Jesus is the king that we've been waiting for, the king that they've been waiting for. He teaches that he is the authority that they've been waiting for. As a king, he would have authority. So this, this, this preaching then, this authority that he has, he says, this is what you need to do. Since I'm the king and the kingdom is here, you need to repent and believe. I'm going to park here, and this first section is going to take a little longer than the other sections as we get to it, because there's so much here. But the gospel that Jesus preached to the world as he comes on is very simple. It's to repent and to believe. To repent and have faith. And he says, do this now. The kingdom is at hand. The kingdom is now. You need to do it now. Repent and believe. And what does repent and believe mean? And this is a part of the gospel presentation that many times is left out in many places. That it's, we, we hear about believing in Jesus and, and how we need to believe in him and that will give us salvation. And that is very, very true. That we believe in him. But the idea of believing is to trust Jesus. But in order to trust Jesus, we need to stop trusting ourselves. Repent and believe, many people have said it's like the the two sides of the same coin. It all goes together. You really can't have one without the other. It's not like there's two separate times where you can believe at once and then you can have repentance another time or repent first and then believe or believe and then repent. It's all together and this is why. The simple act of repentance and faith is this. It's turning away, that's repent, to turn away. It's turning away from having faith and trust in our flesh and in ourselves and turning to, which is faith, turning to Jesus Christ and trusting him. Our life completely changes when we go from trusting in ourselves to trusting in Jesus. Now that's not perfection. That doesn't mean that we're going to always have everything right and we're never going to fall, but it does mean that our trajectory of our life will be to follow Jesus and to trust him and not to trust ourselves to trust man's wisdom to trust who we are but to trust in who he is that is to repent and to believe it's to turn away from living for ourselves it's to turn away from the selfish pride that has destroyed us through sin and turn away from that selfish pride and sin and turn towards Christ and live for him in the best we absolutely can through his strength. That is what repenting and believing is all about. And so I want to say today that if you are here and maybe you believe things in your mind, you believe about Jesus, you believe who he is, you even might even get really kind of emotional when you come to church services and you understand who Jesus is and you know everything you need to know about him and you feel really great about him, but you haven't come to the place where you said, I'm going to stop trusting in my ways and myself, and I'm going to trust in God, and I'm going to trust in Jesus, and you haven't repented and believed in that way, then you haven't truly believed. 
We can believe in a lot of things. But to repent and to trust Jesus, that is what we are called to do. That is the gospel. Obviously, we know the end from the beginning. We understand that Jesus died on the cross to save us from our sins so that he would take the punishment that we deserved for the sin that we've committed, the prideful acts that we've committed throughout our lives. And he died so that we could come to him in faith. And he starts preaching this even now, even before he dies, understanding that salvation comes through him. And so we need to repent and believe the gospel, the good news that Jesus the King is here. And we quit trusting in our own kingship. We, start, we stop living for our kingdom and we start living for his. That is the calling that Jesus calls us to. And so he teaches with authority. So this teaching that he's teaching, repent and believe the gospel, it has impact immediately. As he's walking by the Sea of Galilee, we see these four men, Simon, Andrew, uh, later on, We see James and John. There are fishermen, and Jesus calls them to follow him. And as as a side note, by the way, this is not when he officially commissions them as the official 12. This is just as he's going his way. He sees these men. He's been teaching. He's been preaching the gospel, and he calls them to follow him. Notice he didn't wait for them to come to him, but he went to them. He called out to them and brings them in to the gospel, brings them in to following him. Now, no doubt these men at this time probably thought uh, that if the kingdom is coming, he's the king, then hey, I get to be, the, I get to be part of the king's people. Like, I, I'm going to take over the world with the king. And no doubt that's what their thought was, but this was the start of the process. In fact, they believed in Jesus' message so much and understood this message of repentance and belief, at least in their minds, that they wanted to follow Jesus to the fullest, that they left everything immediately. Their livelihoods. They left their father. They left who they were to follow Jesus. And like I said, I don't think they had a full understanding of what they were getting into. I'm sure they didn't. But yet they were willing to follow because they knew there was authority in Jesus. That there was something about him that they needed to follow. And that's what they chose to do. And as I said, they left everything immediately. They didn't take the time to make everything put in order. No, they left and followed him right away. All right, as we continue on then, we see these four men are called as a result of Jesus' preaching. And then we see him continue his teaching. And this is where it kind of comes to a head as we talk about his teaching with authority. In verse 21, And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. See, Jesus was teaching the gospel. Repent and believe. That was the authority that he had. He's going around and doing that. He comes into the synagogue and he teaches. Say, why would they let this random guy go into the synagogue? You need to understand that Jesus was revered by the people as a rabbi. Any traveling rabbi would be allowed to come in and and teach in the synagogue. And, And so Jesus takes that opportunity and he goes into the synagogue. He starts to teach. And the people, as we're told here in this passage, in verse 22, were astonished at his teaching. Now, we read the word astonished, and we think, okay, so they're like, wow, that's really good. Like, you know, I heard some, you know, I hear people talking about other pastors or preachers that they really like to listen to, and man, it was just such a great message, it was awesome, or wonderful, or whatever they might say. And we think about that as being astonished. The word for astonished here is better translated to strike with shock. (laughs) 
To strike with shock. Think about that, that somebody would deliver a message so shocking that you're stricken. You're just paralyzed almost. It's just you are totally overwhelmed. That is the idea here, that the people as they listen to Jesus are completely overwhelmed by his teaching because the authority that Jesus has in his teaching is obvious. There's no question about his authority here. They are struck with shock. They are shocked. They are overwhelmed by what he's teaching. And why was this? Well, we read here that they say he teaches with authority and not as the scribes. Jesus taught with authority and not merely from authority. Jesus spoke his words because he is God, whereas the scribes and the other teachers would teach from other people. So they would say, Rabbi so-and-so said this, who then told me, who now I'm telling you this from this from Rabbi so-and-so, who will also then repeat. And it's the idea that you will repeat what you've heard from others. So what has been learned by the previous rabbis would be passed on to the, the present rabbis, and they would look back, and the scribes and the rabbis, as they taught, they would teach based on what they were taught. So they taught from authority. Like, this was my authority, and now I'm teaching you what my authority said. Whereas Jesus taught with authority. That he was the one, that he is the one that understood exactly what was going on. A great example of this, and I didn't realize this until I studied this year, or this week. There's, there's a couple of things here as you think about this. There, it's not officially proven that this has to be the same exact time frame, but it's pretty close. When Mark is talking about this, when we're reading about this happening, when he's preaching and people are being astonished, it's around the same time that Jesus gives his famous uh, Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 5, we see that Jesus is giving a sermon, and it's around the same time. So his teaching would be very similar. And what he says in the Sermon on the Mount is, 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 shows the authority that he has. If you remember what he teaches, we're not going to look at it because of time. But he'll go, every single thing he talks about, he says this, you have heard that it's been said, such and such, but I say to you, such and such. A great example of this, as as many of you know, would be, you have heard that it's been said, do not murder, but I say to you, he he who hates his brother in his heart has committed murder. Or with adultery, you have heard it said, do not commit adultery, but I say that anyone who looks at lust with another woman has committed adultery in his heart. You see, Jesus is teaching with authority on the Temple of the Mount. He's saying, look, you've heard it said, that's what people say, but what I say as God is this. That's the authority that Jesus is teaching with. It's not just that he knew his stuff better than the other rabbis, although I'm sure he did, because <laughs> it's his own word. It's not that he knew everything better, and, and he, I'm sure he did, but it was that he spoke as if, and because he did, have real authority. The other teachers didn't. And Jesus spoke with that authority to the point where it struck them with shock. And so we see, as we looked at this first passage of what we're reading this morning, that Jesus taught his authority through the gospel. And as he taught, he was teaching with authority because he's God himself. He's the Messiah King who has the authority to teach whatever he wants because he is the holder of truth. And so we see Jesus' authority through what he taught But then as we continue on in Mark, we see that Jesus not only taught with authority, he demonstrated his authority. And for time, I'm not going to read all the the passage, but I'm just going to draw out a few things that we saw 
uh, as we read this passage in Mark. First of all, we see right away after teaching that there is a demon-possessed man that comes into the synagogue and, and starts to uh, really heckle Jesus, if you will. He comes in here in chapter 1, starting in verse 23. Immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. I want to say a few things about this. As this demon-possessed man comes and the demon is speaking to Jesus and heckling Jesus and trying to throw Jesus off, and even some would say by using his name as the Holy One of God, he was attempting to have authority over him. Similar to what you do with your child. Like, if you want to know that your child, you want your child to know that you're speaking with authority, what do you do? You add their middle name in. You know, so Josiah Kenneth shut instead of just Josiah, right? So you use that middle name and try to grab control. And so a lot of people say that's what the demon was trying to do here, because in that day, if you used the true name of the person, you could have power over them. But of course, the demon has no power. Uh, Jesus uh, will eventually cast this demon out. He says, be silent and come out of him, and the unclean spirit comes out of the man. Jesus casts out a demon. Now, many of us have not experienced that or seen that, but what we do know is that there is powerful forces of darkness that we can't see. And in the spiritual realm, Jesus has authority. And the authority that Jesus has is he casts out this demon out of this man. But here is the interesting thing. The demon knew who Jesus was. The Jesus, not only did he know just who Jesus was, he knew a couple things. He called him Jesus of Nazareth and then called him the Holy One of God. The demon knew that Jesus was exactly what we've been talking about and is exactly what we've been talking about, that Jesus is fully man, Jesus is fully God. The demon understood that, and the demon understood that he could be destroyed by Jesus. And he was afraid of Jesus. He's like, I know who you are, I know what you're going to do. He's afraid, he knows what Jesus can do, and he believes in Jesus. He knows who Jesus is. And yet we know from James chapter 2, verse 19, it says, even the demons believe and tremble. The idea of James is that salvation is not about feelings, and salvation is not about what we believe in our minds or what we know about Jesus, but salvation, as James would say in James chapter 2, is faith with works, the idea that we trust God so much that it will change the way we live. You see, this demon knew everything about Jesus. This demon was even afraid of Jesus, and yet he obviously wasn't saved. He did not submit to Jesus' authority, although he did have to obey Jesus' authority because Jesus says, get out, and he does. Because he has no authority over Jesus, Jesus cast out this demon. And Jesus proves uh, and demonstrates his authority over the spiritual realm. And then it goes on. And we see after this happens, people are still astonished, and they see that even the unclean spirits will obey him because of his authority. And then we get to, uh, and then we get, as we continue on, we, we come to the point where Jesus comes to the house of Simon and Andrew, and Peter, Simon and Peter, they're the same person. Uh, his mother-in-law lays ill with a fever. Jesus comes in and he grabs her hand and he lifts her up and heals her completely to the point where she was so laying down with a fever she couldn't do anything. She gets up and immediately begins serving. 
So we see now that Jesus not only has authority over the spiritual realm, he's demonstrated that by casting out the demon in this man, but now we see that Jesus also has authority in the physical realm. He has authority over sickness. He grabs her hand, lifts her up, and she is healed from the sickness. And so Jesus taught with authority, but now he continues to show us his authority. As we continue on in this passage, we will see after this happens in verse 32, that evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick and oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. It didn't stop with just Peter's mother-in-law and this one demon-possessed man. Jesus has droves of people coming. And as the servant, he could have turned them away, but as the servant, he serves these people by healing their diseases, by casting out their demons, and saying, look, I'm going to serve you. And that's what he does as the king. And his authority allows him, his authority over spiritual realm, his authority over the physical realm, allows him to heal and to cast out demons. And that is what Jesus is doing. In verse 35, uh, there's a little bit of a, a sidetrack that we're going to get to in just a second. But we do see in verse 39 that he continues to go through all of Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. He continues to show his authority through teaching, through healing, and through casting out demons. And we'll get back to verse 35 in just a minute. But I want to come on to verse 40. Because in verse 40 of chapter 1, we see that Jesus cleanses a leper. So he has shown his authority over the spiritual realm, over the physical realm. And now he's going to show his authority over the ceremonial realm. That he's going to show that he has authority even over the law that the Jewish people so desperately clung to. If you know anything about a leper, if you've heard this taught before, you'll understand that if you were a leper and you had leprosy, I think it's called Hansen's disease now, I believe I heard, I read about. But the idea is it just, it kills your nerve endings, basically. You can't feel anything. And so a lot of times you will lose body parts or things will start to decay or things will like, I mean, weird, like gross stuff. Like even like animals will like chew on your limbs and you won't feel it. It's really, it's an awful disease to have. And what happened in Jesus' time, because these people would be so grotesque and they'd be so just mutilated in so many different ways and they believed that this was highly contagious and even though now it's been proven that it probably isn't but it they they are so afraid of this that they say if you have leprosy and 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 even in the old testament law you would be considered unclean because you have this disease but what they were doing in jesus day if you had leprosy everywhere you went you had to walk around going unclean unclean you had to do that everywhere you went because if somebody came near you they'd have to know that you had leprosy And so nobody did come near you. So you're basically all to yourself. And yet this man, this leper, comes to Jesus and says, If you will, you can make me clean. This small phrase in here that I want to focus on for a second, in verse 41, says, Moved with pity. Remember, Jesus is a serving, suffering king. A normal king doesn't pity anyone. But Jesus has compassion. Jesus has pity. Jesus cares. And so he serves this leper by healing him. But the way he does it is even more important in some ways than the fact that he does heal him. We've already seen that Jesus can heal. And so this section then says this, though. So moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him. This was a big no-no. 
If you can't be near a guy with leprosy, you sure can't touch him. And if you touch him, then you now are unclean. You have touched something unclean and you have become unclean. And Jesus says, I don't care. Now, Jesus could have just said at this point, he could have looked at the leper and said, be healed. Could have done it from a distance. He could have, you know, gone 30 feet away and yelled it, be healed. And he would have been healed. But Jesus chose to reach out and touch him to show that, look, the law that says I'm unclean, I am, the, I am clean. And this man, through this unclean act of touching a leper, is going to become clean. And Jesus shows that he has authority even over the law in this point. Everything people thought about authority, Jesus says, I have the authority over all things. And then he tells the leper not to tell people. And he says this a couple other times throughout this passage. And this is kind of strange. It's hard to understand, but Jesus keeps saying, look, don't go and tell people. Just go to the priest, offer your sacrifice, be clean, and leave it at that. Now, obviously, the people don't listen. They just, this guy just got healed from leprosy. He's going to tell people. And so he goes out and tells people, and we're told that Jesus eventually, because of all of this, has to withdraw himself away from the city because it's too crowded. Jesus didn't want the word to get out, not because he didn't want people to know about him, but because he knew what would happen, that there would be a mob that he would, and it would hamper his ministry. And Jesus knew that could happen, and that's why he tells these people not to tell, but they do anyway. And now at the end of chapter 1, we see that he is completely surrounded by these crowds. He can't, he can't openly enter a town, we're told, but he was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. He started in Galilee, but people are coming from everywhere to hear Jesus teach. To be healed by Jesus. To have demons cast out. Jesus is showing his authority and people are coming to him. So he demonstrates his authority. Now I want to go back to that section I said we skipped over in verses 35 through 39. I want to say this. Jesus remembered his authority. Authority in the sense of who is Jesus' authority. Well, Jesus as God is his own authority. But I want to talk to you about the idea of Jesus... As a man, remember, Jesus is God, but he's also man here. And I believe in his humanity, he understands something very simple. That what's happening is not because of anything he can do as a man, but because of everything that has to do with God. And so in verse 35, this is what we read. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. Jesus stops in the middle of this crowd of people that are just eating, every, eating up every single word he says and just rushing to him. And he's being just bombarded by huge crowds, which would be anybody's hope if you want to become king, you want a following like this. And what does Jesus do? Instead of continuing to build them up and continuing to get them going and to continuing to grow his group, he goes away. He gets up early in the morning when it's still dark. People don't even know where he's going and he goes away so that he can do what? So that he can pray. Because he understands he needs the strength of God, the strength of the Father, the strength of the Holy Spirit, that the, that the God part of him needed this, to, to draw into that. Because otherwise, a human heart would say, I'm going to stick with where it's going well. But what does Jesus say? Because the, the, the disciples come to him and say, hey, people are looking for you. Where, what are you doing? Get back here. 
Like, everything's going great. You need to come back. Like, come on, let's keep this, let's keep this rolling. Your fame is going, uh, just exploding. Let's keep it going. And Jesus says, no, we need to move on. See, Jesus wasn't here to be famous. He wasn't here to gain fans. Jesus knew that he was here to proclaim the gospel far and wide. And that's his calling. You say, this is still weird that Jesus would pray. And I agree, it does seem weird. Because if he's God himself, why is he praying to himself? No, there is a definite personal relationship amongst the Trinity. And I don't exactly know how it all works, but I do know that God is... God is the Son and Jesus is, has a personal relationship with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. In, in the book of John, we see a very similar thing happen as Jesus is teaching. And I want to go over here just to back up this idea of Jesus praying for God's power in all of this. Because in the book of John, in, verses, in, in chapter 5, verse 19, chapter 5, verse 19, Jesus is talking about his authority in this passage. And what he says is this. So Jesus said to them, it's once again John 5, 19. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son also does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing and greater than works with these will they show him, so that you may marvel. It goes on and says, The Father raises dead and gives life, and the Son also gives life to who he will. There's a connection here that Jesus says, My authority flows from the fact that I come from God. I am not just a man, I'm not just a human rabbi that is here to gain a following, but I'm here to preach the gospel of God far and wide. And Jesus remembered why he was there. And so he comes away and he prays. And he asks for guidance. And he follows guidance. And he follows what he knows the purpose of God is. To continue on and continue preaching. And so even in the midst of showing his authority and teaching with authority. He remembers his ultimate authority. Comes from God. The fact that he is deity. And our last section here we see that Jesus reveals his authority. I know that sounds very similar to what Jesus demonstrates his authority. It is kind of similar. But I really want to talk about ultimate authority here. Many of us know the story here in chapter 2. I already read it. We see the story where there are the crowds are surrounding the house that Jesus is preaching in. Nobody can get in and out. There's a, a paralytic man who can't walk. Four of his friends carry him to the house. Uh, in those days, there would be stairs that would go up to the roof. So they go up to the roof. They literally, the roofs are about this thick and they're digging a huge hole in the roof to lower the paralytic down and they lower him down in front of Jesus. We know this story and you can read it again here in chapter 2. And they lower him in front of Jesus who is teaching and who is healing people and the cot comes down, the, the stretcher comes down as they lower it and what does Jesus say to the paralytic? This is important. He says, son, your, son, your sins are forgiven. That's not... Why the friends bought, brought the guy to Jesus? They brought him because they wanted him to be healed. Wanted him to walk again. And Jesus sees him there and says, your, son, your, your sins are forgiven. Now maybe the reason that he was paralyzed is because of a result of sin. That is possible. So maybe that's part of why Jesus says this, but I think there's a much deeper meaning and we get to that as we continue to read. Because... 
those who are there that are the authorities of Israel, the, the, the Pharisees, the scribes, they're watching this happening and they're thinking in themselves, he can't forgive sin, that's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sin. This guy is crazy. No, there's no way. This can't happen. He's being blasphemous. And Jesus, who is God, knows what they're thinking and says, why are you thinking these things? And he goes on and then he says this, Why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? It's kind of a rhetorical question. The obvious answer, it's easier to say, son, your sins are forgiven, because that can't be proven. Jesus is saying that he can forgive sins, and what he then says is, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. By the way, Son of Man is a reference back to Daniel chapter 7 that is talking about the Messiah. Once again, Jesus is making it very clear. I am the Messiah. I am the King. I am the one with authority. And now he's saying, I can forgive sins and I am God. And so he says, so you may see this, so that you may see that the Messiah indeed is me and is God. I say to the, he says to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he does. He is healed completely. But the point of this whole passage was not to heal him physically, but to show that Jesus, his authority that he taught with, the authority that he shows through healing and through casting out demons, the authority that he has from God as he relies on the power of God, all of that authority ends in the fact that his, his ultimate authority, he can even forgive sins. If he can If he can heal physically, then he can heal spiritually. If he can solve paralysis physically, then he can solve and save from spiritual paralysis and sin. That is the point of this passage. And Jesus is saying without a question that he is God. His authority is from God. He is the authority. He is the king. He is the one to follow. He's shown it in so many different ways, and now he even does it through forgiving sins, which is completely blasphemous and crazy to those who are watching. Even the people who aren't in the leadership say are amazed, and they glorify God, saying, we never saw anything like this. We've never seen a man with this kind of authority. By the way, as a quick mention here the authorities and the people who had been studying and waiting for the messiah they knew the messiah was coming as a king but they didn't quite understand the fact that when jesus when the messiah would come he would be the savior and would have the power to forgive sins so even if they believed that he was the messiah which some of them might be thinking about it they didn't make the connection that the messiah is the same as the god who can forgive See, they still saw the Messiah as an earthly figure. Whereas we now understand that the Messiah, yes, is man, but is also God. And so Jesus makes that point even again when he goes back and talks about the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. What he's saying is the Son of Man, who is the Messiah, is God. And I am the Son of Man, so therefore I am God. Jesus is making it very clear that he has the ultimate authority as king because he's God. We read all of this, we went through this whole sermon to get to this very simple point. Jesus has complete authority over the physical, spiritual realm, over the ceremonial realm. He's taught it, he's prayed for it, he's shown it through forgiving sins. And so a few thoughts of conclusion as we, go, as we, as we close this time together.
Jesus shows his authority, and his authority remains today. It didn't end because he died on the cross. Actually, his authority was even seen even greater than it, than it was then because Jesus died for sin, but then Jesus rose again. And Jesus rises again and says, look, my authority is even over sin and death. As God, I am the authority. Now, he didn't abuse this authority. Throughout this passage, we've, saw him, we've seen him as the servant king. In his authority, he still serves, and he has pity, and he loves, and he cares, and he does what is good for the people, and he also has authority. And he's saying, even today, if I have the authority to even rise again and defeat sin and death, then I have authority to save your soul. I have authority to give you salvation. I have authority to forgive your sins. Forgiveness of sins is the greatest miracle that is still happening today. And so for those of you who are here today that don't know Jesus as your Savior, those of you who are here today that are submitting to your own authority and living life on your terms, I call out to you as Jesus did and as the Scripture says, repent and believe. Turn away from yourself and trust in Jesus. The fact that he did live a perfect life for you so that he could die on the cross for your sins, all that you've ever done wrong, all the prideful attitude you've ever had, he took that on his body. He died for you, he bled for you, and he rose again, showing that he has complete authority over sin and death. And all he asks is you come to him and you repent and you believe that you turn from yourself and you turn to Jesus. If you haven't done that, don't wait any longer. The kingdom of God is at hand, it's here. You don't have time to waste. Serve the king now. Accept the king now. Repent and believe now. And if you have more questions about that, as always, please talk to somebody. Ask somebody for help. Just come to Jesus and ask him to be your king and commit your life to him and say, Jesus, I am done living for myself, but I want to live for you. Help me to do that. That is salvation. Believe in Jesus. Repent and follow him. For those of us who are here today that believe that we know Jesus, we understand that he's our savior, we live with him, we, co- we come to church and we learn about him. For each and every one of us, is he truly the authority that you follow? It's easy to say yes. He was the authority over the demons, but they weren't saved, they didn't submit to his authority, they didn't understand his authority For us today as Christians, we need to make sure that we are living in a way in which we reflect his authority on our lives. We do what he asks us to do. We love one another. We we love God and love others, which is the great commandment that he continues to preach to us and that we encapsulate everything that he is. We try to live like him because he has saved us, because he is our authority. There is no greater authority over us. And will you follow? Will I follow his authority? Or will I continue to look to my own authority? Will you continue to look to your own authority? It's so much easier to live life by what we can trust in ourselves. But if we are to live a life of repentance and faith, it's a continual process. It's not like we just say it once and it becomes easy for the rest of our lives. No, every day we need to wake up and we need to stop trusting in ourselves and we need to trust in Jesus. My prayer for all of us is that we would do that.
With all that being said, we're going to close this morning with a word of prayer. Let us pray. Lord, we come before you today and we acknowledge the authority that you've had in our lives. The authority that we see in the book of Mark over the spiritual realm, over the physical realm, the ceremonial realm, that you've taught with authority, that your word is authority, that we understand your authority comes because you are God. And Lord, as we think about all that authority, we know today that you can forgive sin. Not only can you forgive sin, but you can allow us to live a life in which we are pursuing you and not pursuing sin any longer. Lord, I pray that each and every one of us, no matter where we're at, whether saved or unsaved or unsure, Lord, that we would submit to your authority, that we would quit living for ourselves and instead live for you. I pray all this this morning, and as we go forward, I pray that this week we would continually reflect upon the authority that you have over our lives. And I pray all this in Jesus' great and powerful and authoritative name. Amen.